church. Good morning, good morning. Uh, we are in a series called Grown Good, and we are uh, focusing in on the last two chapters of the book of Galatians, and really, it hovers around everything before this has been leading up to this weekend as, as kind of a focal point. Uh, last couple of weeks, we've been establishing kind of the, the groundwork for what's going to take place today, which is the good law, talking about the law that Moses brought, which was good because it let us know God's expectation. Also let us know we absolutely could not possibly say that we fulfilled it. We needed a savior, someone who could fulfill it for us, and that's why we have Jesus. Jesus brought in the law of uh, the, the good law, which is the law of love which is basically with the confidence that we have that the law has already been fulfilled, we can be liberated to live the life he's called us to, which leads to a couple of decisions we have to make as followers of him, which is to follow the Spirit's lead to purge things out of our life that are toxic or detrimental to the flourishing of the life that he's called us to. And if you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to last week's message, I encourage you to do so because that's basically the negative of what we're talking about today and the positive. This week we're talking about the good life. And the good life is the life that, that God has called us to, uh, to live out and, and is what's commonly known as the, fruits of this, or the fruit of the Spirit. So if you've got your Bibles, open up to Galatians chapter 5, and we're going to be looking at verses 22 and 23, just two verses. And if you miss it when we read it through on the first time, we're going to go ahead and unpack each of the words um, later on in the message. But Paul leaves um, verse 19 and following, uh, which is, again, the negative side, the good purge. And let me just read through those, and then we'll jump into 22. The acts of the flesh, or the works of the flesh, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now it gets into the positive. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. In other words, saying these are things that don't need to be regulated. These are things that, that, that naturally God's doing inside of you, and it's like green light. Put the pedal to the metal and go forward in these things. And one of the things that we have to understand is this is God saying, I'm doing something in you. I'm, 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 I've got a movement in you. I'm actually I'm, I'm, I'm intersecting your reality. About 14 years ago, I was, I was driving down Wabina, and I was, I was leaving 360. Uh, I used to be the youth pastor over our high school ministry, 360, and I'm driving down Wabina, and it's late at night, and like no one's on Wabina, and, uh, and I'm driving by the high school. As I'm driving by the high school, I see this little kitten just walking on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the, the sidewalk right there. Now, just to give you, a, just to put all my cards on the table, I hate cats, Okay, I do not, I think they are the spawn of Satan. I do not like them. There's nothing about cats that I find redeemable. I think that, and if you say, oh, my cat loves me. No, your cat is waiting to eat you the moment you stop feeding it. I don't, how many of you are dog people? Okay, how many of you are cat people? Okay, so now the cat people are like, see, this is why we're leaving. We are out of here. I'm not going to that membership class. I hate cats. I do. I hate, I hate cats. Most of it's because I'm allergic to cats, but, but I hate them. Now, I, that, that reality did not change what was about to take place as I was driving down Wabina, however. As I'm driving down Wabina, I see a kitten. And kittens are different than cats. Okay? Kittens are like, oh, it's a kitten. And so I'm like, oh, it's a kitten. Hmm. Too bad you're going to grow into a cat one day. And I'm just driving down. All of a sudden, I see that the kitten is limping. Something about this kitten is just like, it's just limping. I'm like, that's kind of weird. And I realize why it's limping. 
The reason the kitten is limping is because this massive owl, I'm talking like a bear-sized owl, keeps on swooping down and nipping at it, at its, at its legs, and just coming down, whoosh, whoosh. And I, I was, in that moment, all of a sudden, time just slowed down. And I'm looking at this thing, which, when it, the wings spent, I never realized how huge an owl could get. I mean, it was huge, huge head and huge beak just pecking. And then all of a sudden, it just descends upon this thing and starts to just beat the snot out of, its, out of its face with its wings and then starts to just peck and rip apart its face and its body. And time slowed down for me. And I had this absolute conflict in my brain. My brain is saying, Errol, you hate cats. And then Elton John started to sing. The circle of life. And I'm like, this is good. This is what happens. Big animal, small animal. This is what happens. Let it, you know what? No one's out here. No one's going to say, you're a monster. You drove right by that. Who's going to care? Nobody. And I'm like, so I keep on trying, but I was, I couldn't stop. All of a sudden, I'm like, no, Elton John, not today, not on my watch. And I pull on over and I start laying on the horn and the owl's like, what? What are you going to do? I could take you. I weigh, outweigh you by 80 pounds, dude. Relax. And he just kept on pecking at this little kitten. And I'm like, and I get out of my car and I start running like a madman for this animal I don't even like. And I'm just like, nah, 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 nah. and all of a sudden that thing just took off. It's like, okay, whatever. It's not even worth it. And I looked down at what I just risked. I, I had this, co- this cognitive reality. I'm going to die for a cat. But I looked down and I looked at what I had risked my life for. And this, it's this mangled little animal. I mean, just pieces almost, you know, just blood everywhere, and the eyes were just pecked out. And I just, I didn't even know what to do, but I could tell it was still breathing. And I was like, <sighs> I'm like, oh man. So I go to my car, I find like a box, and I just kind of like, kind of scoop the thing in there, and I bring it home, like, Julie, I don't know what to do with this. She's like, well, we, I guess we should get it some milk, because that's what you do in the movies when you have a cat. And so, we tried to feed it, totally expecting the thing would be dead by morning. And we were shocked that in the morning it was still just like, you know, barely getting by, but, but still alive. And so we took it to a vet here in town, and um, we thought that was going to be the end of it, that it was going to die soon thereafter. And we came back a week later to see how it was, and the thing had totally healed up. It, its eyes weren't pecked out. It just had blood all over its face, but the, it was all healed. The, cat, the little kitten was doing just fine and, and was going to get adopted by a family. It was like super cool, like co- cool ending to the whole story. The reason I bring that up is because we are that kitten. We are that kitten. And the thing that we have this amazing reality about in our, in our faith is that God did not drive by. He didn't simply say, well, you know, that happens. It's probably his fault. He, stop, he, he stops the car and he gets out and he, and, he, and he didn't just risk his life. He gave his life so that there could be a change that takes place in our life. So something could actually be healed. Not just that, you know what, I, I just love you so much. I'm just going to keep you right where you're at. No, Tim Keller put it this way. I love this. Tim Keller said, God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are. But in his grace, he does not leave us as we are. When God came into your life, a transformation started that was intended to transform you, not just leave you as you are. He loves you, accepts you, sees you as you are, all of that. But because he loves you, by his grace, he wants to transform you and make you more and more like him. 
Now, now in Scripture, in this passage, Paul's trying to figure out how to explain it. He's like, well, it's kind of like fruit. Um, but it's, it's not like the kind of fruit where it's just a multiple different kinds of fruit. It's, it's, there's a unity in the fruit. So it's more like a cluster of grapes. The fruit of the Spirit are more like a cluster of grapes that are, are unified like by one branch. There's one source of the life for all these. It's not like multiple different trees or multiple different bushes. It's one source that he is the vine. He is the vine. He is the, he is the source of our life. And, and Lightfoot, this theologian, went through what we commonly just read through, those nine words, those nine descriptions of this, this fruit that happens once a person becomes a Christian, that, we are, uh, that un- is unlocked in our life. And he d- identified them as really being um, focused on three different areas. The first is focusing on this, this expression to God, that love, joy, and peace are, are an expression to God, that the next three are ex- an expression to the people around us, patience, kindness, goodness. It's like the overflow of that reality that God has established in us. And then finally, we get down to kind of an inner character uh, with ourself of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you have one thing that I want you to understand as a Christian, is that the fruit of the Spirit are not something that you're like, well, I just, I'm gonna pray that I get a fruit of the Spirit, or I get patience, or I get self-control, because I really could use that. But instead to realize that as a Christian, this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's already established. You've got it. Paul's encouragement and challenge is to grow it. You've got it. Now grow it. Pour into it. Flesh that out. And we, and we can know that we can do this because God established the ability to grow. Remember in, in that first, the, the negative stuff we talked about last week that Paul's like, this stuff is toxic, get it out of your life. When, when he's talking about that stuff, he's saying, this is the work of the flesh. Or basically, this is the default you. This is the default us. It's just the knee-jerk reaction to life. This is natural and normal to someone before Christ. And so this is all on us. We could totally take credit for all of this stuff. But when it gets to the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit. When Paul's trying to figure out how to explain this, he's like, he's like you guys don't make fruit grow. We're like, well, I water it. Yeah, but did you make it grow? Did you invent photosynthesis? No. Right. So it's like some, there's something that's outside of you that you can nurture, but it's, it's, it's inherently natural. It's something that happens. That's what, like when, it, when a person becomes a Christian, there's something that naturally starts to grow and naturally starts to be produced that you can nurture, but it's God who has established that ability. When Jesus forgave you, you got his righteousness and that life was able to be unlocked. Jesus said, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And, and fruit, if, you, if that just kind of is a distraction as far as a word, just think of effectiveness. Uh, and if you remain in me and I remain in you, you will bear much effectiveness. You'll, you're going to be effective. You're going to have a productive life following me. Apart from me, you could do nothing. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. The second thing we can, we can realize is that, that our, our urge is to grow this now, that we've got it, so now grow it. Growing is God's rescue plan to save us from taking our lives back. When we came to Christ, we realized that I have had, I've lived a self-absorbed, self-centered life where I have been God. I am now turning the reins of my life over to Christ who took my sin on the cross and he's my leader, he's my master. I am doing that. I'm giving that over to him. The fruit of the spirit are God's rescue plan to keep us from going back into the self-absorbed, self-centered life where it's all about us again. Because if you look at all the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self when you see all that, they're all things that are a reflection of Christ in us that pushes us 
outwards. It keeps us focused on Jesus and who he is and, and, and focused on, on how that impacts those around us. Now, here's the thing. Here's why Paul doesn't end just with don't do these bad things. Because if the Christian life is all about just don't do this, 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 and this, and doesn't have the fruit of the Spirit where it's pushing us to express who Jesus is to those around us in the love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, if that's not part of the equation, then all you have is, is a Christianity that's built on moralism. Look what I don't do. And I know that you guys do it, but I don't. Because look, I'm not doing this and this and this. These are dirty, icky, filthy things. I've weeded them out of my life. Look how awesome I am. It's just a new brand of self-centeredness. It's called self-righteousness. And it's really ugly. And people of faith rock this far too often. Instead, we take this out to be then filled by this, this new reality, the fruit of the Spirit, that God is growing his rescue plan to save us from taking our lives back and to nurture it because God calls us to nurture his good work in us to bring good to others. These have an outcome that push outward. And it's nurturing. It is work. It's hard work. The fruit of the Spirit, loving is, is basically saying, I, I'm going to express these when things are good, but, but also when things are bad. It's not love others when, when people are loving you. Be peaceful towards others when they're peaceful towards you. Have self-control when you feel like it. It's like, no, have self-control when you are absolutely out of control. Have peace when everything is chaotic. Have love when, when, when you're experiencing zero of that back. It's basically saying that the adventure of Christianity, the adventure of following Jesus, is engaging all of the ups and downs of the difficulties, saying, the fruit of the Spirit, I'm going to engage these all throughout the hard times so that it continues to refine and change me into the person God calls me to be. Um, one of my favorite outdoor companies that I don't own anything of except for a hat is Patagonia. The reason I don't own anything other than a hat is because it's so stinking expensive. <laughs> but it's, it's awesome, great outdoor stuff. This guy right here is Yvonne Schweinard. And, and Yvonne, uh, um, Yvonne is a guy who uh, started um, as a rock climber. And he invented outdoor gear so that he could make rock climbing uh, more accessible to more people and better and, and more effective and more safe. He moved into ice climbing. He's, he's an adventurer and outdoors person. But I love one of the quotes that he has about the word adventure. He says this, The word adventure has gotten overused. For me, when everything goes wrong, that's when adventure starts. Real adventure is defined best as a journey you may not come back from alive, and certainly not as the same person. Yvonne said, I'm tired of people saying adventure whenever they're talking about this nice pleasure cruise, or I'm going into the jungle in a Jeep that's manned by somebody else who has a map and we know exactly where we're going. So that's not adventure, that's vacation. Adventure is engaging the difficulties of life. When things go wrong, that's when adventure begins. That's when all of a sudden you start to realize what it is that you're up against and what you're going to do as a result. The fruit of the Spirit are our ability to engage the adventure of following Jesus. When things go wrong, they're what we're expressing. When things are awesome, they're what we're expressing. But it's up and down through it as a discipline. And the author of Hebrews put it this way, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. And so what we're going to do in in our remaining time is tackle those nine, the nine elements of the fruit of the Spirit, the nine things that that Paul is saying, these are, this is the exam, this is the evidence that God is working in you, that that you have these, but, but you have to realize that you've got these, you've got to grow them. 
You have them in maybe seedling form. Maybe you don't see a whole lot of them. But if you're a Christian, they have the ability to grow within you. The first one that's the most important is love. It's like the one that overarches and umbrellas all of them. And the reason it's so important is because the love that we have is something that we know from the love of God. We know that we can't possibly have a proper definition of love without understanding this great God who loved us with agape love. And you guys remember agape love, right? Right? Agape love comes from above, even when they're a pain in the butt, you got to love them no matter what. That's agape love. That's how deep we got that week. Agape love is describing this non-conditional um, reality that is expressed to us by God. And so when we're loving others, it's not by, like my love. It's this, this, this amazing reality I have from God. Expositor's commentary put it this way. God's love for us is unmerited, great, transforming, and unchangeable because the spirit of Christ who is characterized by love, is living within the Christian. The believer is to show love both to other Christians and to the world. We have the opportunity to show love that others can't. Because others are going to show conditional love, but we've got something amazing coming from him. And secondly, we've got the ability to express the second fruit of the Spirit, which is joy. Joy is this amazing reality that that something has become unlocked. I love this because what this is saying is if you're a Christian and you are a stuffy, serious person all the time and you have no joy in your heart and people around you don't, would, if, if they thought of the word joy in you, they would not put the two together. There's something seriously wrong there. Because if you're a Christian, this should be coming out. I mean, because of the reality that you have within you, you got it. Now grow it. Uh, um, R.C. Sproul put it this way. Martin, when he was talking about Martin Luther's description that, that this was one of the fruits of the Spirit. Martin Luther writes that this proves the fact that, 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 Paul, that God wanted this to be one of the fruits of the Spirit that we understood and, and, and read in that passage. This proves that God hates comfortless doctrine, heavy and sorrowful cogitations, and loves cheerful hearts. Theology must always end in doxology. The joyful praise of our Creator. Otherwise, we have not truly studied the things of God. If you've walked with God, if, you're, if you've accepted Jesus as not only your Savior, but someone who's leading you as your master, and you have no joy, you've been studying the wrong stuff. Because this produces joy. And so the action step for, for the follower of Jesus who has this but wants to grow in it is basically do this. is to remind your heart who you are and who's your, who, whose you are. Remind your heart who you are and whose you are. When you're in, and Christians experience depression like non-Christians. Christians experience anxiety and panic attacks like non-Christians. Christians experience difficult, horrible times like non-Christians. The thing that Christians have that non-Christians don't is not the alleviation of all those things. It's the end of the day reality that I land on, yes, but I have a joy in the midst of this depression. A joy that's not in happiness right now. It certainly isn't. But it's joy because I'm remembering who I am. I'm a kid of the king. I'm someone that, that, that was important enough to Jesus that he died for me. That's who I am. As a youth pastor, I loved watching um, dorky junior hires get into high school and become part of a football team. And all of a sudden, they felt like, look at me. I have a jersey that barely fits my skinny body, but look at me. And the reason that they're walking with such confidence is now they, they had a new identity in who they are. I'm a part of this team, and, and now I'm looked at differently on a more serious and deeper reality is the fact that as Christians, we have joy because we are remembering who we are. We are part of the family of God. No matter what is going on in your life, and and listen, 
just looking out, I can see people in this room that, that I've had conversations with where you have serious pain right now. Life is not easy. It is complicated. It's tough with family, with work. You have access to this, which doesn't mean that those problems go away. It's this in, in the midst of those problems. You've got it. Now grow it. Love, joy, and peace. Something took place when this happened. Um, as we've said before, um, on, at Good Friday, at our Good Friday services, we had um, people write down, um, basically thinking about the things that Christ had went to the cross for for them. What, what did he go, for the, go to the cross for for them? What, what sinned? What, wait, and just thought of it. And then they responded, and, and Pastor Dick uh, gave us the prompt to simply write on that card, if you're in Christ, thinking of those things, recognize that something has happened. A dynamic shift has taken place and right paid in full. And so people brought forward and nailed to a cross that we had right here. Just these, these cards were paid in full. And that's what made up this, this sculpture behind me this, of, of just paper. But the reality of it has been paid in full. The reason that we have peace in this world that's chaotic is because we have peace with God. He's taking care of our sin. And what that does is the outflow of that is to cause us to have peace that we can pursue daily. In the midst of the problems that we have with others, we remember the reconciliation that God has done in our life, and we pursue peace daily. In the Romans, Paul says, as far if, it's, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. In other words, you can't control people, you can't control circumstances, but you can control your approach. And your approach should be one of a peacemaker rather than a division driver or a, or a drama queen, as someone who's making things worse. Instead, as far as it is possible, as, as, if it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Pursue peace daily because it has been modeled and given to us in spades. But not only that, we also recognize that it moves into patience. Uh, patience is something that is a, a, man, it's a commodity that's hard to come by. Um, Pastor uh, Pastor Brent talked about um, the fact that next week we're going to be honoring mothers. And I encourage you, if, you know, as long as you've had a mom, you qualify to come next week, but I would encourage you to find a mom and bring her. If your mom is still living and she's in the area, bring her next week. We want to honor her. Um, if, you, if your mom isn't living or you don't, uh, if your mom is way too far away, she lives in Nevada or something, and she's just like, I just don't feel like going to Manuka um, at this season of year. I usually go in the summer. Um, then just go to Starbucks and find someone else's mom and bring her next week. When I think of motherhood, though, at least what I've had a chance to observe in my own mom, my mother was a Mother Teresa of this, patience. She had to be to be married to my dad, and she had to be to be the mom of five kids um, who were not easy in, by any stretch of the imagination. Patience is one of those commodities that's hard to come by, but according to Paul, it's a fruit of the Spirit. That means that in the midst of your crazy scenario, if you're a mom or a dad or a single person or a married person or someone with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or someone who works someplace or a student or, or a kid, you, you, you've got, if you're in Christ, you have access to this. And the, and the proper definition of this word in Greek comes out with this. And I love this. It's actively putting up with others even when severely tired, which is a perfect description of motherhood, Okay. Even when, it's not putting up with people that, that are like, you know what, this person's nice, so I'm going to express patience to him. It's actively putting up. It's an action where it's heavy, heavy on the action. Actively putting up with others, even when severely tired. Who do you, who, sh, who should you put up with? Who is someone in your life that like, man, this is per, someone who I don't, I've got zero patience with. Is it a parent? Is it a sibling? Is it a coworker? Is it a kid? Who is it? Who is that person? Is it a pastor? 
actively putting up with others even when severely tired. Patience. Paul moves in from patience to kindness. And kindness is, is again, it's, it's reflecting the kindness that Jesus showed us. In, in another passage, Paul says it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Not his holiness, not his perfection, not his sovereignty. All those things are, are, are true, but it's his kindness that leads us out of, the, out of being stuck in our stubbornness, stuck in our sin, to saying, you are safe enough for me to repent. You could devastate me. You could destroy me. And, and you have every right to it, but it is your kindness that lets me crawl out of the cave and come back to you. That's, that, that is a fruit of the Spirit. You've got that. You've got that within you, that ability to express kindness to those who don't deserve it, who are unmerited. And, and so the action is to simply to treat others the way God has treated you. This past week, um, I had to make a phone call to someone that really frustrates me that not in this church. <laughs> um, but I was just like, I do not want to call this person. And I'm, I'm, up, I'm up in my, ha- I'm in my uh, bedroom and Julie's, Julie's there and I'm just like, oh, I got to call this person back, but I just don't want to. I'm just like, oh. And the things I wanted to say to this person were by no, in no way, shape, or form Christian, okay? I wanted to just chew this person out. But I knew that I was speaking on this this weekend. And I'm like, Okay, the fruit of the Spirit are not just something that we express when we're feeling great and everything's awesome. The fruit of the Spirit, again, the adventure of Christianity is when things go wrong. So I'm thinking kindness, and and that's treating others the way God's treated me. And I'm just like, but it's so hard. I don't want to treat him like God treated me. I want to treat him like God treats the devil. That would be exactly how I want to treat this person. And Julie's like, just remember, fruit of the Spirit And so I called the person. And believe it or not, like I've had conversations with this person that have exploded. And it's just been one of those things like, see, that's why I don't call this guy. And it ended up awesome. And I walked out of there going, that's pretty cool. I almost didn't do that because I didn't feel like it. But discipline isn't pleasant at the time, is it? It's hard. It's difficult. But for those who allow it to train them, it produces righteousness and peace. Treat others the way God has treated you. Now, the cool thing that Paul does is he doesn't leave it just as kindness because people can be kind like verbally and be totally fake at it. He actually extends that into goodness. Uh, goodness is more than simply kindness. It's actually letting, uh, it's saying we're going to move beyond just simple words. Are any of you from the South? Is any Southerners here? Okay, a couple of you. I'm totally going to offend you right now. I just giving you a heads up. One of the things that Southerners are, and, and you, could, you could talk about Californians all you want, so there's tons of stereotypes you could chuck at me, but one of the stereotypes for Southerners is that they have this wonderful hospitality, and this wonderful, just absolutely, like, just comforting and welcoming spirit about them, and it's totally phony because they want to stab you in the back even though they're smiling you in the face. You know what I'm talking about? They say things like, bless your heart, when really what they mean by that is you're an idiot. Like, oh, man, Jimmy, you just put your clothes on with your underwear on the outside. Bless your heart. Did you hear about Eric? He showed up to work drunk again. Sawed his hand right off. Bless his heart. Okay, that, that type of thing of like having this, this saccharine sweet, but, but it really isn't what the person's saying. 
Paul lets us know that the Spirit doesn't allow us to stay in kindness land where it's just phony words. Goodness is actually taking a step beyond that. I had a conversation with a friend this week who said, uh, was talking about how you don't see generosity in the fruit of the Spirit. Well, you do actually in this word. Goodness is actually, uh, it's basically taking generous actions beyond kind words. The concept of generosity is fused into the word goodness. It's this generous action. It's like, I'm going to do something more than just words. I'm stepping in and I'm actually going to step in in a way that's real and vibrant and practical. I'm not just going to say something. I'm going to follow it up by action. I want to encourage you that if you're someone that's, that someone tells you something like deep and difficult and you feel the, the compulsion like to say, hey, I'll be praying about that. Don't say that. Don't tell someone you're going to pray for them. I do it all the time and I'm trying to stop. What I encourage you to do instead is say, hey, could I pray for you right now? And just pray for them. I don't care if you pray awesome or, or stutter. Just pray for them. Let, don't simply be a person of work, kind words. Be someone where you have generous actions beyond mere words. Don't simply say, yeah, I believe in this. You know what? Maybe that's the thing where you want to step in and fund that. Maybe, you know, don't just say that this is someone that I... That, It'd be nice if we, we did some things for, but you actually step in and you let actions step in, generous actions. That's the whole concept of goodness. When we get into faithfulness, though, it's, it's an interesting word that, that simply the action step of it and what it means is to let your word mean trustworthy action. Christians, people who are, are following Jesus, should be the type of person that you, the boss can depend on, your teacher can depend on, okay, that you're not turning in work late, that, that you're not doing a, a lame job in your place of work. That, 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 you know, who cares about the way your, your home or your, your yard looks, but that you're trying to do something where you're trying to have integrity within your community as best you can. To let your word mean trustworthy action that people could rely on you. And I've, I've shared that it's very, it was easy for me, especially when I first started working, um, to tell Julia I'd be home at 5 and be home at 5-ish, which was more like 5.40. And enough of those times, she got to know that I was a person who had, had my word meant really nothing. It meant ish. You've got to stop living ish. Five-ish. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll be on time-ish. I'll do that ish. But actually be the type of person that's letting our word mean trustworthy action. That someone says, I can completely rely on you. You know why that's important? Because we can completely rely on Jesus. We can completely rely on him. And when other people can completely rely on us, and we actually have an opportunity to share about our faith, that word is coming with backup of action that's trustworthy. I can trust you in part because I know that you're someone who'd never lie to me. Now, if you're someone who's caught up in lies right now or, or your, your word is kind of just messed up, don't feel like throwing in the towel. Just say, okay, from this point on, I've got this. Now I'm going to grow it. If you're in Christ, I've got this, but now I'm going to grow it. Gentleness is something that, that is incredibly important um, that, that Paul is calling on a first century group of people, um, many of whom are men who are not expressing this in its form, saying this is something that, that, that followers of Jesus, men and women, express. It's gentleness. And the action for that is simply to dial back defensiveness, to recognize that, that our, our first response when being confronted shouldn't be this wall of defensiveness. Can I just want you to think about your life. When somebody approaches you, and tells you something you're doing that's wrong. Or when someone confronts you about something. This is a safe place. In all honesty, 
do you tend to land in the defensive land of like just kind of trying to explain why what happened wasn't really bad or it's not what you think or it's not as bad, you're blowing this out of proportion? How, how many of you land in the defensive department, in all honesty? Okay. Me too. This is one of my Achilles heels that I've tried to just surrender over to Jesus over and over and over again. Because my response, first off, is, is to do just that. Like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. And a lot of times it's because I've hurt somebody. And when they're telling me, like, you've hurt me, I'm like, no, 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 you're not really hurt. Let me tell you why. And that never fixes it. It makes it worse. So this is something that I have. I have the ability to express gentleness, which is a, has a humbleness of heart. That I can actually, I can, I can not be someone who's primarily defensive. I can be someone who's primarily humble. That I can own what I've done that's wrong. And even if, I, if someone's telling me something that I didn't do, I could come at that with empathy rather than simply just, here's exhibit A, B, and C while you're wrong. Gentleness. You've got that. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ you've got that. Now grow it. Not only gentleness, but finally self-control. And this is specifically within, um, Paul uses this within the sexual dynamic, especially following up with the passage before that. He's saying to a group of people uh, in Galatia that have a very similar perspective on sex that we have in our culture, listen, you think that you're an animal and that you're just impulsive and you've you've got urges and needs and you just do what you do. The heart wants what the heart wants. But that's not reality. You're more than an animal. You're actually, you, you, you need to remember the fact that because the fact that you are in Christ, there's something that separates you from all other mammals. Not only are you created in the image of God, but you have the Holy Spirit within you. So just very much like joy, remember who you are and whose you are. Remember that, that your ultimate definition isn't your urges or your drives, your passions. Those are not your definition. If those were your definition, man, we are just animals. It doesn't matter what we do. But if God is, if we're created in the image of God and the Holy Spirit resides in us, then we have something distinct and defining in us that says that I can surrender my perspective with his perspective and say, I'm following your lead. This is difficult, but I can actually have control. And you know what? Over time, as you express self-control, it doesn't become, it doesn't feel rigid as it did in the beginning. It doesn't feel um, claustrophobic or prudish. It actually feels liberating because you start to experience the life that God has called you to. And that's awesome. Now remember, all of these things are, if, if, if you look at this list and you recognize that, that, that you've got issues or you've got a lot of growth to do here, remember what Hebrews says. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. As you're recognizing, as you're looking over the things that are, are the evidence that God is working in you, that, that, that God has forgiven you, that God has restored you, that he's in the process, this is not like a complete list where you're like, okay, I'm 100% in each one of these. For many of us, we look at these and we say, you know what, I, God's done a lot of work in my life in the joy department and the goodness department, but the self-control and the faithfulness department, I'm really struggling with. Am I a Christian? Yes. If you surrender your life to Christ, you have that. It might be in seedling form, may not be completely developed, but you've got that. And God is saying, I am the one who's with you to help you grow it. As Tim Keller said, God sees us just as we are, but he's not willing to see us totally deficient in the very thing that he created us for and say, well, I'm just going to leave you alongside the road and being pecked apart by the enemy without stopping and saying, no, we're going to do something about this. Not today, 
not on my watch. When he did that in my life, he started a change that he's still working in. I'm not a completed person. I still have tons of work to do in a lot of these areas. And he's faithful to complete what he started in me. And he's faithful to do that in your life too. Are you allowing him to do what he wants to do with your life? Or are you holding on to it? If you're not a follower of Jesus, these are great traits and attributes and characteristics that you can flirt with, that you can experience in part, but you do not have the ability to experience in the fullness of them. Remember what Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so in order to experience these to the fullest, you have to be someone who surrendered to him. And you could do that this morning. And I want to encourage you to do that this morning. If you're, uh, a, but if you are a believer and you're just recognizing, I really am lacking in some of these, I'm going to, we're going to have a prayer time here. We're just going to close in prayer. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm just going to speak each one of these words. And silently before the Lord, if you're a Christian, simply say, Lord, I know that I've got joy, but it's very little. And my life right now has darkened it. Grow that in me. Grow that in me today. Grow that in me this week. And we'll just go down each one. And silently before the Lord, you could just respond with, Holy Spirit, I want to grow in this. Allow me to. Let me listen to your lead and willingly follow you. Let's stand for prayer. And we're going to, um, first off, open up that opportunity to anyone in Christ or anyone who, who's, who needs Christ. And then we'll follow that up with those in Christ expressing the desire to actually take a step, a bold step into the adventure of following Jesus in those areas. Let's pray. And if you're, if you're not a believer, as we open up in prayer, and you recognize that these things, as wonderful as they seem, are distant realities to you. You don't feel the ability to fully flesh them out and live them out. You realize that it's your sin that's separated you from God, that's distanced you from him, but that Jesus brought the good news of the fact that he did the work for you. He died for you. He took on your wrath for you, your judgment for you, and he gave you his holiness, which unlocks the life that you were intended to live. And if that isn't something you've experienced, simply, now as you're praying, just tell him. Tell him that you're sorry. Tell him that you're done ruling your life. Tell him that you're going to put your confidence and your trust in what he did on the cross to make you right and not your ability to make yourself right. Tell him that you're going to follow his lead from here on. And for those of us in here that are believers, I'm going to go through the list and just as we're all with our eyes closed, just this is a time for you to do business between you and God. To simply be honest about each one of these categories and areas of your heart and respond to the Holy Spirit's leading to open yourself up to more of those. First off, love. If you're lacking the unconditional love that God's expressed to you, Simply reach out to him. Say, Lord, fill me with the love that you have. and Let me show that to others. Joy. You've allowed the circumstances and conditions of life to rob you of this. If you're in him, you have it still. Ask him to grow it. Peace. 
peace that is above and beyond your conditions. The ability to pursue peace with people who are not peaceable even. This is deficient in your life. Ask him to grow it. Patience. Kindness and goodness. The ability to respond to people with unmerited kindness and to actually take generous actions of goodness towards them. You've got it. If you're in Christ, ask him to grow it. Faithfulness. With your word being trustworthy and true, having the integrity of of being able to say something and follow it up. You've got that in him. That honors him. Ask him to grow it. Gentleness. More than simply having truth on your side and coming in and laying waste to anything that's not true, being able to speak the truth with love, gentleness, and self-control. If you feel like you are out of control, you do not have any ability to stop. If you're in Christ, you do. Ask the Holy Spirit's supernatural ability to give you control of the things that you feel like you're out of control in right now. Lord, we know that the purpose of the fruit of the Spirit is not just to make us nicer people, better citizens, or more moral individuals, but it's to conform us to the image of Christ. You've accomplished that on the cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit is the ongoing work helping us become more and more like you, Jesus. And that the outward impact of that is that those around us feel the blessing of the work that you're doing in us. I pray for this congregation, God, that you give us the ability and the sensitivity to listen to your Spirit's lead and take action. To not simply believe the right things, but let belief lead to action. And when we see that, we'll give you the thanks and the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said... Amen. Amen.